From the high desert of northern New Mexico, this is Circle for Original Thinking. I am your host, Glenn Aparicio Perry. Welcome to Circle for Original Thinking, America's electronic talking circle for visionary thinkers, an open forum for fresh ideas and timeless wisdom applied to today's political and ecological challenges. Each episode, we bring together creative thinkers from a variety of different traditions. We ask the hard questions on the important issues of the day, like climate change, virulent viruses, other symptoms of humanity being out of balance with the natural world. Our goal is to recreate a whole and sacred America and world, a new and improved version of E Pluribus Unum, from the many to the one. And this time, not leave anybody out. Join us as we embark on this quest. Maharshi was once asked, how should we treat others? His reply was, there are no others. From the perspective of the sage, the universe is one being. It is for similar reasons that the values of respect, kinship, and love are inseparable. In Aboriginal cultures in particular, as are gratitude, humility, and sacred obligations to original instructions rooted in traditional stories known as the lore. Join us as we share traditional Aboriginal stories and wisdom of how to practice respect, kinship, love, and more from the authors of The Dreaming Path, Indigenous Thinking to Change Your Life. And now I want to introduce our guest. Uncle Paul Gordon is a Ngemba man from northwestern New South Wales, born of Guruligu country. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know. Meaning he belongs to the stones. In his stories, stones are born, stones have babies, stones grow, stones have spirit, and stones die like all things do. His people are stone people. That is where they come from. Paul has spent his life working with Aboriginal communities, creating organizations that can help his people achieve improved well-being. He has traveled country and met with fellow old men and share the old stories so that we can take better care of each other and Mother Earth. Because, as he says, if we care for the mother, she will always give us all that we need. And Dr. Paul Callahan is an Aboriginal man belonging to the land of the Warimi people, located on the coast of New South Wales, just north of Newcastle. For many years, he has held senior executive positions in Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal related service areas, but eventually his desire to focus on community and individual well-being compelled him to start his own business as a consultant. In addition to his consultancy work, Paul is a motivational speaker, storyteller, dancer, and author. 
Paul is the author of two nonfiction books, Iridescence and The Dreaming Path, and has recently created two fictional novels, Coincidence and Consequence, as part of his PhD program. Paul's passions are driven by the belief in the power of story to create a better world. Wow. I'm very honored and blessed to share uh, time with you gentlemen. <laughs> so I, I'd like to begin by just asking you to please share a little bit about how your friendship came about and how that eventually led to the book Dream, The Dreaming Path. Um, and Usually Uncle Paul would speak first, but I think it would probably be appropriate for me to yarn about that, eh, Uncle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, in, in doing that, I can start, I can kind of explain why I call Paul Uncle, even though we're kind of the same vintage. We're fine wines that are getting better with age, of course. <laughs> so many years ago, in my mid-30s, in fact, I, I was a very successful young man. I had uh, a lovely wife, three children, two cars, three jobs, uh, three qualifications, including a Bachelor of Commerce, and things would have appeared to have been going quite well, but in fact they weren't, and I had a nervous breakdown. And that led to me tapping into the Western system and being told I'd never recover, I'd never heal. And so as I struggled with what I was told, eventually I thought the solution was to, to kill myself, and I went to do it one day. And as I went to do it, an inner voice said to me, no, you don't have to do this. You can actually heal yourself and prove the system wrong. And so I started that journey, and a couple of years into that journey, a colleague said to me, would you like to come and learn about your culture on the East Coast of New South Wales? And I thought, well, I've been told that doesn't exist, so I don't know what that is, but I'll certainly try it because it might be true. People told me it wasn't, but I, I went bush and these people started showing me sites and the sites are where Uncle Paul is located today, in fact, just not far from where he is now, even though he doesn't live there. And for a little while I was being taught those things and all these people kept on saying, one day you'll meet Uncle Paul Gordon and I went, he sounds like a cult leader to me. I don't know. I don't know what his story is, but it doesn't sound much chop. You can't have a person on a pedestal that high. So I was actually quite disrespectful. And then I met him, and I was quite guilty because I could feel his love, I could feel his knowledge, I could feel his wisdom, and I could feel his spiritual power. And so when I first met him, I was a bit intimidated. But over time. As he shared his learning with me, I began to love him as a teacher. And then over time, I began to connect with him as a friend. And since that time, he's become a best friend. And in fact, recently we bought a large property, I think it's two and a half thousand acres up in the up in what you would call the forest or the bushland, so that we can protect that place and have people visit us and connect with the country. And so because of what he's given me, I, I, I found not only saved my life, it gave me a rich life, and as I recovered, I tried to become the old me, that was my quest, 
But in hindsight now, I did, never became the old me, I became the real me. And so the gift was he gave me the ability to walk my footsteps as I met you on this earth. And for that, I'm very grateful. And now I have the privilege of sharing what he gave with me with others because as I used his learning, I found that my career within, within the government sector exploded successfully and I had an ability to help a lot of people. And then I needed to leave because I reached a point where I couldn't help people anymore. And in my consultancy work, I help a lot of people. And I said to Uncle Paul many years ago, your wisdom that you've been given is so amazing. I think this is something that the world can benefit from. He said, let's do it. And so that's where our books came from. And the books basically are a repository of 100,000 years of wisdom where Uncle Paul's quotes are in there and then I build around them to show non-Aboriginal people how they can live a better life individually, how united we can live a better life collectively and how universally we can create a better planet. Oh, that's a beautiful response. I, I appreciate that. And would you, would you also like to address the question, Uncle Paul, please? Yeah, I mean... You know, when I first met Paul, I could see that he was a little bit sceptical about what we were doing and, you know, because for so long in New South Wales and the East Coast of Australia, Aboriginal people have been told by mainstream Australia that all your culture was dead and gone and you had no language, you had no ceremonies. And a lot of, you know, it was taught like that in the Western school system as well. So a lot of people had lost any hope of ever regaining their cultural connection back to their back to their homelands and their ancestors. So and a lot of people come up the bush with that thought in their heads because that's what they've been brought up believing. And then to, to be able to see the rock carvings and the cave paintings and feel the actual energy of the spirits around them areas, you know, changes everybody's mind pretty quickly because you can actually feel this beautiful energy. And PC picked that up really quickly. I, that's my, you know, my love term, I guess, for Paul Callaghan is PC um, and all the other lawmen and people and women who follow our ways refer to him as, as PC or Uncle PC. Um, and when I first met him, I found it a bit ironic because he was actually the head of IT in TAFE New South Wales. So I thought, yeah, he's, he's a PC and he's the head of IT. So that was a little funny thing that we used to joke about and laugh about as well. Um, yeah, and over the years, just by sitting down together and sharing story with one another, we did build a beautiful friendship. And, you know, it's a friendship that'll, that'll last forever. These kids... His kids are really important to me and my kids are really important to his family and they've grown up together as brother and sisters and they often spend time together in the bush themselves. And so it's a, it's a really important friendship and it comes about by sitting down together and sharing story. And that's the really important thing about this old world connection of coming together and sitting down and sharing story. And it was interesting hearing what you said about, you know, the man in India who said, you know, we're all one. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what people taught me. 
exactly the same thing. Is that, you know, they were saying things like, you know, me and you, me and you, we same. We same as kangaroo, we same as emu, we same as rock, we same as tree, we same as bird, we same as fish. We all same thing. Mm-hmm. And when you when you understand that, you realise that you're just a part of, of a beautiful thing and you want to care for it and nurture it and look after it and just be in it. And that's a really important message for the world. So, Glenn, just to add on to what Uncle Paul said, so I didn't actually say why I call him Uncle. The term Uncle is because of my love and respect for the knowledge and wisdom that he shared with me. And so it's not about age. It's about the wisdom and the sharing. So you can have an uncle who's quite young. You can have an uncle that's younger than you. It's about the knowledge, but it's just not about the the knowledge. It's sharing that knowledge in a positive, strength-based way. It's an honorific term, and it's also recognizing that you're kin. Just like uh, Uncle Paul was talking about, you're also kin with with everything, the kangaroo, the emu, the, you know, and all. It's it's beautiful. Well, I, yeah, I did want to start there because I can I can feel the 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 respect and the love uh, that you two share, and you know, we're calling this 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 program uh, this particular podcast. Podcast. The theme is respect, kinship, and love. But we we could add the word lore, which I I really appreciated from your book. Though you know the point that you you made very very strongly about that that uh, that love needs to follow lore, and and uh, that was a, a very interesting point. I mean, it's uh, you, you do need to get to know the story of anyone before you really can love them, and and um, and and love is that one of those concepts that uh, people talk a lot about, but uh, they don't always understand it so well. And uh, but I do feel like you two gentlemen do understand it. So I want to ask uh, Uncle Paul. Um, that question because it was you that said in the book that love should follow lore lore should come first can you explain a little bit more about why you were saying that yes lore as in L-O-R-E is about stories and it's about sitting down together and sharing each other's story and getting to know one another and it's also about sitting down in the country and getting to know a country. And law actually translates into knowledge. So the more time you learn things, the more knowledge you gather. So all our whole world for Aboriginal Australia is about stories, and from the stories we are taught knowledge about our country, about all the plants, about all the animals, about our relationships with one another, through our kingship systems. And it's all taught through that law. And then, from the law and from the knowledge, you can actually develop love for your place. And I often say to a lot of people, um, you can. a lot of things have been done in love without knowledge and they've completely destroyed people. And sometimes I get challenged by Christian groups who say, oh, we think love should come first. And I go, well, I've seen so many communities destroyed for the, from the love of people who had no knowledge about what was happening in our communities. And they came in there 
with great ideas in their mind, which completely made things way worse because they had no knowledge of the communities they were trying, trying to help. Um, so coming together and sitting down and sharing story and listening to one is really important, listening. Not talking over the top of other people, but actually listening to people and learning their stories. And then from that base, you start to gather knowledge. So that's, that's the importance of law. It's all about gathering knowledge. Mm. And I often say to Australians here in Australia, you know, do you love Australia? And they go, yes, yes, we love Australia. And I go, well, tell me what you know about Australia. And they know nothing. <laughs> you know, I, go, I name some trees and they say, oh, gum tree. I said, yeah, but there's a thousand different species of gum tree. Which ones do you know? Oh, none, really. Another really big tree in Australia is called the wattle tree. And there's about 600 different species of wattle. And they're very important to us for food and medicine and all that sort of stuff. And, I, and I'll say, what do you know about the wattle tree? They go, it's got yellow flowers. And that's about all they know. I go, well, how can you love this place when you know nothing about it? You have no relationship with it. Your love is just shallow. Um, because the only reason why you love it is because you take from it every day. You call it the lucky country. It gives you wealth. It gives you a good life. So you take from it and receive from it, but you never give nothing back to it because you don't know anything about it. So having real knowledge about your place is really important because when you've got real knowledge, you can actually work out how to give back and how to look after it and how to care for it. And I think you'll find, Glenn, in COVID, everyone got locked away and one of the things across the world people missed was getting out into nature. And we, we say sitting out in the bush, that's sitting out in nature. And tapping into what Uncle Paul said, one of the greatest ways to be quiet and learn is to sit out in nature and just listen and look and then you'll learn because Uncle Paul has been teaching us for a very long time stories all around you. So you just sit still anywhere in nature and the stories will show themselves in the trees and in the plants and in the animals and in the sky. And even at night, there's story in the sky that Uncle Paul can talk for hours about. So the stories surround us. So the beautiful thing is that learning is all around us. It's not just in a book or in a, in a video or in a room with a person. Stories are all around us everywhere, and so knowledge is all around us. Do you want to add to that, Art? No, that's a really important point, man. Yeah, that, you know, everywhere around us is knowledge. And when nighttime comes and we look up in the sky, again, we see story and again, we see knowledge. And, and all this knowledge that we're talking about is not about our rights. It's about our responsibility. Um, the problem with the Western world is we talk a lot about our rights, but we very, we don't talk often enough about our responsibilities you know, to one another, to our country, to our workplace or to anywhere. Huh? We, we, we need to start thinking about responsibility and what that actually means. Because to, be, to act responsibly is really important. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, that's a very important, very important idea. 
Um, you know, I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, there, and I do appreciate. I think you even said in the book there, uh, Paul. You were saying that you know, the book is a good guide, but but ultimately it has to. This has to come to reside in your heart. You have to you have to go beyond the book to actually experience what you're talking about in the book. And thank you for the guiding exercises that you provide in there. Maybe we'll have time to do one of those. Um, but and there is a chapter in your book on, uh, that I really uh, loved a lot called "Love, Gratitude, and Humility." which was a, a beautiful uh, confluence, like three rivers coming together, the way that you address those concepts so fluidly. And it's all about respecting the lore, the L-O-R-E, the lore, and respecting each other. And you have, you have multiple stories in, and uh, I think is, is the correct pronunciation, Tikabia, or Tikabia, that, that animal? Say that again. Tikabila. 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 Yes, you had several different versions of that story, uh, and and would you like to share just one of them, or uh, because those were really interesting stories, and they really taught lessons about respect. Yeah, I can. I can tell. I'll tell the the one that we normally tell kids who are around. Uh, three, four, five, um, and it's about being greedy. Mm. Little kids, when they're around two or three, want to own everything and grab everything and go, no, that's mine, that's mine. And this is a story about why we shouldn't be greedy. And it's about an old greedy man, grandfather, who often loved to eat Tikibilla, and Tikibilla was this little furry creature that lived in the bush. And this old man said to his two grandsons, come on, you two boys, you have to come out and go hunting with me because I'm hungry for Thikibilla. And I'm your grandfather, and you've got to do what your grandfather tells you. And these two boys said, yes, grandfather, we know our obligations and responsibility to you and the law. We will go with you, but we don't like going with you because you don't share with us like grandfathers are supposed to. You don't give back to us. And he got angry and said, don't you tell me the law. I know the law. You just do what you're told. So off they went. This old man, because he was so fat and lazy, he could only walk 100 metres and he sat down in the country. And he said, I can't walk no further. You go and find Thikibilla and bring it back to me. So they went and found the Thikibilla and brought it back to their grandfather. Here, grandfather, leave him here now and go and get wood. Hmm. And they left the Thikibilla there with their grandfather, went out and got wood, brought it back. Here, grandfather, here's that wood. <laughs> ah, that's not enough wood. Leave that wood here and go and find more wood. As soon as I was gone out of sight, he lit the fire up, cooked that Thikibilla and ate. When they come back, they said, grandfather, here's that extra wood. Where's the Thikibilla? No, you took too long. I got hungry. I ate that one. Leave that wood here and go and find another Thikibilla. So they left that wood there and off they went to get another Thikibilla. As soon as they was out of sight, he hid the wood behind his back because he was a big fat man. When they came back to the Thikibilla, they said, Grandfather, where's that wood? Ah, you took too long. I got cold. I burnt that wood. 
Leave that thicky billy here and go and get more wood. As soon as I was out of sight, he got the wood out from behind his back, lit the fire up again, ate that thicky billy. And he kept doing this over and over, tricking them boys into bringing him thicky billy and wood and not sharing with them. And he just kept getting fatter and fatter and fatter in the landscape. And we have these big mountains that look like a thicky billy, and we say that was that old man who sat there in the country and, and ate. Because my old grandmother used to say, see, son, he ate that many thicky billy, he started to look like one. And I'm sure grandmother all over the world have said that at different times to their, to their grandkids. Yeah. Anyway, luckily, back in that time we called the Murumpa, butterfly people were magic people. And the butterfly tribe, they flew past. And they seen this old man breaking the law. And they said, that old man's breaking the law. He has to be punished. And they went back to their little, to a tree that they belonged to, their Mura, what we call their Mura, their camp. They went back to this tree that they belonged to. And this tree's got these long, spindly-like, stick-like leaves. And they got these stick-like leaves and they sharpened them up and they made little spears. And they came back to that old man and said, old man, we've been watching you breaking the law, eating all the thickabilla in one place, not sharing with your grandsons, being greedy, having no respect for your, your, your law or your responsibility. And you've eaten that many thickabilla, you look like one. So we're going to turn you into one. <laughs> they turned him into a thickabilla. And then they speared him with thousands and thousands of little spears. So all his back was covered in spears. <laughs> And that's how that thicky billa, or in Australia he's known now as the echidna, got, or porcupine as you might know him in America, mm -hmm. um, got all of his in his back from the butterfly people who punished him for breaking the law. But then they said to them two boys, you two boys must be angry. They said, yeah, we are. They said, well, come back to our mura, come back to our place, and on the tree that we live in, there's all these beautiful little fruits and you kids can have as many as you want. All you boys and girls can come here every day and the butterfly people are happy to share with you and you can eat as many fruits as you like. But adults from now on, because of the old man and the law he's broke, no adult can eat the fruit of the warrior bush again. And that's still law in my country. Um, the butterflies still look after that tree. They get beautiful little fruits on them every year. And when I was a child, I used to get stuck right into them and love them. But now, as a man, I'm not allowed to touch them. And I still have to follow that law in my country, even today. That's a wonderful story. And it's just... Um so you have these other stories, and another story, the 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 uh, the is greedy himself and eats eats a lot and becomes uh, fat that time. Um, so what is it about the the tikabila? He's also I I also uh, read that uh, some of the uh, I think it's a uh, one of the mountains was created by. Uh, uh, to look like the, as you were mentioning before, like a chica. So it's it seems to be very very central to the to the lore. So 
Uh, and I'm also curious, is it a little bit like uh, my wife happens to be Japanese, and uh, so one of the delicacies that is eaten in Japan is a spiny sea urchin, or a, uh, it's called uni in Japanese. Um, and uh, it's also, it's spiny, but its, it's belly is very soft. Is there something about the soft belly of the? Is that the same with the tikabila? And is that part of the reason? I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's. I mean, he is a delicacy, and only our people love to eat them um, because they actually have healing, healing in their meat, especially for stomach problems and stuff. So the old people, you know, when they feel a bit sick in the belly, they'll go. You know, I need to have some tiki bila. It'll heal me and fix me up. Um, the important stories, though, and I can tell you like 20 different stories about how the tiki bila got his spines, and they're all different. But the morals are all the same. It's all about don't be greedy, share, fulfil your responsibility. Um, if you look at that little story, it's about connection to country. It's about the responsibility between children and butterflies. Um, it's about the fruit, so it's telling us about what fruit we can eat, and then it actually looks after it, and then we have to get permission off before we eat it. Um, so it, it, it shares a lot of knowledge through that one little story. Yeah. And important. And the, the old concept of, in our, in our old belief system is every story, or you know, 90% of our stories is about don't be greedy, don't tell lies, don't take but don't belong to and if you live in a world where nobody's greedy and everybody has a responsibility to give to one another, and no one's telling lies to each other and no one's stealing from one another, you have no need for war, you have no need for armies, and you have no need for fences or castles or forts. Mm. And when you think about Aboriginal Australia, for 200,000 years, we lived alongside one another without building a castle, without building a fort, without building a fence, without building an arm. Because we were, we preferred to sit down together and share with one another and build relationships with one another. And we've created a kingship system that travels right across the country. And we're, we've got grandmothers and grandfathers who've never seen before, but we know that if we go into them countries, there'll be people there who, who will recognise us and know us as family. Hmm. That's that's really important, and I want to talk to, uh, with you now, Paul Callahan. So I just uh, because what was just uh, uh, what Uncle Paul was just bringing up is is pretty profound, and I also uh, understand that in uh, uh, in in Aboriginal languages and plural, apparently no Aboriginal languages have a word for hate because it's something the way you're, he's just been speaking about those those kinship relationships. Could you address that, please, and just explain why that that is? Yeah, well, when you think about hate, where does that come from? That comes from prolonged anger that isn't resolved. Mm. So our people had anger, but there were interventions because our people were psychologists and doctors and all sorts of things. And so there would be interventions and practices to make sure there wasn't a prolonging of the anger and an escalation of anger into hatred. 
But just for a second, what I want to go back to is love because the the, the opposite of, of hate is love. And tapping into what Uncle Paul said, so there are lots of stories. And there's a big creation story that we don't have time to talk about today, but it's, it's in the book. But in essence, the creation story is that the Mother Earth was born and our sky father, Miami, came down from the sky and, and spent time with the mother and they fell in love and made love and she became pregnant and then he had to go back to the sky. But she gave birth to all things, so all things, so the trees, the, the insects, the birds, the mammals, the animals, everything. And so that's a big story that if she gave birth to everything, then everything is family. And so... When you're out in the bush or in the country or in the forest, you're surrounded by family. But the essence of that story is we all come about because of the love of the mother and the father coming together. So that's about love. So that story has lots of layers. But they didn't come together in hate. They came together in love. And so when we're born, and this is something Uncle Paul's taught us many times, all things are conceived in love. They're born in love, they grow in love, they live in love, and when our time is finished, we go back to love. And that's a really, really important concept of our culture. We need to have law, but then we do have love, and we're anchored in love, we come from love. And statistically, the chances of being born is one in six with 100 noughts after it. So statistically, it's a miracle that we're born, but we are, and we're born with a purpose. We're born in love, and that's the title of the book, Dreaming Path. We're born to do things. But what's really important that I talk about is when we go to school when we're young, we're taught an artificial concept of success and it ties into, into getting ready for, for work and consumerism. And so consumerism dulls us. And consumerism tells us we can't be happy unless we buy things. But our law says, no, we're happiest when we're out in the bush and just sitting there. And if you really believe you're born in love, then you don't have to prove yourself, you don't have to compete, you don't have to be better than anybody because you're already loved, you're already perfect. The only obligation you have is to care for country and care for each other. And so that's all about love. And so our world was surrounded by love and you see it with elders. Our elders love their children, they love their grandchildren, they love each other, they love country. And so if something did go wrong, our old people would be there to share story and to, to ensure that any anger was mitigated. So then, and, and now old people say, finish business. That's done now. We don't, we don't go back. We don't, so we don't hold on to stuff. And that's where a lot of hatred comes from too. We, we store it and we bury it rather than bring it up and let it go and make it finish business. And so part of being loving is accepting that we do get anger. In anger, there's nothing good or bad about it. It's how do we manage that and then let it go so it's finished business. Mm-hmm. That's very, very, very good. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Paul. And I wanted to ask you, Paul, because you're, you're, you're a bridge person. I mean, you, you bridge these two worlds, the Aboriginal world and the Western world. You were, you were not raised traditionally. You, you discovered it, and it's really enriched your life. But, so you've, you've gone on this path, you know, which is not an easy path uh, to, 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 uh, to bring these two worlds together. I mean, how do you do that? 
Yeah, well, I, I, I always knew I was Aboriginal. I, I was one of the lucky ones. I wasn't stolen, even though my mum said that when she had me, the government came every week to try and take me away, and that's what happened to a lot of our people. So I grew up on an Aboriginal mission or a reserve that was basically uh, a place where there was a big fence where we were locked away and, and couldn't leave without the mm. mission manager's approval. So I grew up knowing I had Aboriginal bloodlines, but I didn't actually understand the value systems and I didn't know our culture particularly. And that's why Uncle Paul's, I mean, meeting him was such a life-changing event. But I guess the thing is, with our spirituality, and you kind of mentioned this, it's not theory to me, it's, it's practice and I live it and I believe it and Uncle Paul and I talk about it. If you really believe it, you just don't think about it. And so I just believe in our culture and I believe that the rocks are alive and I believe that spirit is all around me and so I don't find it hard at all and I, I walk my footsteps and I use my culture as my platform to share knowledge but also I engage in the Western world. I. I I like to use my phone to talk to people I love. I like to travel and visit people I love. I do like going out for nice meals at times. I, I visited you, Glenn, many years ago. I'm looking forward to doing that hopefully next year. So all those things are there, but I never forget the basics of the law, which is love, respect and humility and where I come from. And even when I was in your country and that day I danced for you, Mm. And I felt the spirits from your country connect with me and welcome me in. And, and, and I felt that just before I went out and danced, the hummingbird came and sat on my heart for about 30 seconds. And so mm -hmm. there's these things where I realise that this isn't, this isn't my mind just making it up. It's all real. It's all real. And so then I guess if you really believe in something, it makes you fearless because you just believe in it. Sure, I, I get knockers every now and then and it hurts a little bit. And then it goes because I know what I believe in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for bringing up that that connection. I was, it was so good to meet you uh, in uh, America, uh, and. I want to go back to you, Uncle Paul, to ask you something about the kind of, in Native American languages, there actually usually is no word for love. I want to, you know, it's usually, usually the words love and respect are synonymous or it's, 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 it's more about respecting the right of everything to exist. And out of that uh, uh, comes what what in the Western world would be referred to as love, but it's this really this deep respect, and the and the native words tend to be more along the lines of respect. Is something like that the case with uh, with Aboriginal languages, or is it different? No, uh, pretty pretty much the same actually. Because um, yeah, so there's there's terms like when I say the word Norumpa. It's like my world, my physical world, and my relationship with everything in it. And when I say the word yatama, that's like literally people translate that as something, you know, that's all oh, that means good. But it means much deeper, it's much deeper than good. It's, it's about connection, it's about responsibility. And so we have sayings like, um, when we greet one another, we'll say, in my language, we'll say, Yama, today, but that's just like, hello. In the old day, we'd say, Yama Varu, 
So we'll have a much bigger sentence attached to that, which basically means, you know, how are you? You know, you're my family. Um, we know each other from lives before. And so there's this big connection of much deeper meaning to our connection to one another and, and to everything within our country. So when we think about... Um, my relationship with the tree comes from when I was a tree. There was a time in my eternal life when I was a tree, mm. when I was a kangaroo, I was an emu, and we talk about having memories of them things so we can actually talk to that tree or we can talk to that kangaroo because we have memories of being them at one point throughout our eternal lives. So when the old people talk about, well, when, you, when we die, we go back to country to be reborn again. And, and our land, our, our dirt, our body becomes dirt, becomes part of the mother. Our water goes back to the creek and back to the river and becomes cloud and becomes rain. And grass grows in us and we become grass. Kangaroo eats the grass and we become kangaroo. Tree grows in us, we become tree. Fruit on the tree, birds eat the fruit, we become birds. So there's this pattern where we talk about how we went round and round and round as water and earth many, many times before. Mm. And that, that's that old connection with that universe because we know that you know, universal dust falls on our planet every day. So this it's not just earth connection, it's universal connection that we're all made up of. That we all have a responsibility too because if we look after our place, we're actually looking after our next life. So, and our grandchildren's lives and our great-grandchildren's lives. I was sitting in a river meeting one day with an old Aboriginal elder with all these scientists and they were telling us about the state of the river and how bad it is and all these poisons and all that sort of stuff, in it, which we knew about because we could see what the farmers and, you know, were doing to the country. And this old man said, well, you, you scientists say we're 85% water and 20% dirt or something like that. So if we're coming, if our grandchildren are coming from this dirt and the dirt's poisoned, and if the water that they're being created from is poisoned, all them kids are going to, all them kids are going to be born sick. Mm -hmm. now, if we don't look after our country, when we come back, we're all going to be born sick because we're being born from that place that has got now all this poison in it. So it's, it's simple for us to understand that because we believe that. We believe that we're coming and going from this place and if we don't look after it, if we keep poisoning it, we're going to be born sick. Mm. Mm. Just, oh, just, like building, just building on that, Glenn, when yes. you look at COVID, when you look at COVID, what's the first symptoms that people have? They get a fever. When you look at the planet and global warming, and you talked about us to start global warming, that's because the mother is in fever because we've made her sick. We have made her sick. She just didn't become sick. This is where, as, as a species, human beings need to say, we made her sick, so we need to stop making her sick, and we need to enable her to heal. That's why she's hot, because we've made her sick. And it's a lesson to us that we need to listen to that and turn it around because there was an old man in North Queensland said many years ago, he said what human beings need to realise is we need the mother more than she needs us. 
That's that's very beautiful, very beautiful. Yeah, when I was in Costa Rica, I had an experience once where I uh, I was uh, there, uh, both uh, walking through the rainforest, and uh, we were out on the ocean too. We were supposed to be swimming with dolphins, but the dolphins didn't have any interest in swimming with people because they were being netted. So they were trying to swim away as fast as they could. Uh, and uh, but yeah, it was there that I I had a vision of being being a, a dolphin, and I dove down to the bottom of the ocean. And right before I hit the bottom, I realized I was a river dolphin. So I came back up, I came back up, and I came back up to the surface. And, you know, in the vision, also the consciousness rose up, up into the sky. And I looked down on this river dolphin swimming out to the river and out to five rivers that were coming together to the ocean. And I felt the heartbeat, the heartbeat of Mother Earth. And it was very beautiful, very ecstatic. And I, I came back to the U.S. and uh, a dear elder who's uh, now in the one of the cloud people, we would say, like you were saying, Uncle Paul, you know, uh, Grandfather Leon Secatero, the former head man of the Canyoncito Band of Navajo. I told him about that story or the, you know, the vision I had seen. And he said, that's good, Glenn, because that that's what's going on with the, the mother earth now you know her this and this is this is why we have you, you were in a place where the rivers were free and running free the way they're supposed to be but there's a lot of the planet where the rivers are, are, are uh, dammed up and choked off and that's why people have uh, cardiovascular problems these days so it's uh, it is true that the the heartbeat Mother Earth does have a heartbeat, just like our heartbeat, and we need to connect them up. Yeah. So, uh, hey, I want to ask you guys before uh, if you could. You had a beautiful exercise in your book about connecting with the love of the mother. Could could we uh, could 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 you lead us through that a little bit, and that will be a very healing thing for our listeners. Would you like to do something up to connect people to the mother? I need that one with you, Paul. All right. Yeah. All right. So this can vary depending on how you feel at the time, because when you connect with the mother, and I'm not going to get my book and read it either. I'll just I'll just. Give you a way to do this, but it's important whatever you do in your life to be you and to be real, and to not get your head. It's called monkey mind chatter in in psychology. To not get your head full of words, thinking this is the way I must do it. That's not our way. Our our way is to use our belly, and Uncle Paul might talk about that a little bit later. But our belly is where our spirit and our power is. So the connection with anything is with our belly. That's why our gut feel, you'll hear, oh, my gut feel told me this. Always go with your, your gut feel. So connecting with country, with this visualisation, 
it's important to find a place where there's no noise. And when I say noise, no no physical noise, but no noise in your head either, or minimise the noise in your head. So, so find a place or go to a place if you can. That's that's your favourite place. So either go to a place or in your mind go to a place that you love being in nature, and then take some breaths in and some breaths out. As I can hear that beautiful bird. Mm-hmm. And so it's important when you talked about the heartbeat of the mother, it's important to flow with that and to breathe in and let your breathing flow too because in life we get so stressed, we don't breathe properly. So it's important to be still and just breathe in and feel how good it is. Then you breathe out and let out all, all the bad energy and let all those thoughts in your mind, all the busyness, just let it go and you breathe in again and let it out and then just acknowledge this beautiful place that you're imagining or you're sitting in and just let it come to you and then look around you and see what's there and notice how beautiful it is and notice every single thing don't rush it look around you and notice everything that's so beautiful and so this beautiful place it might have a stream it might have rocks it might have grass trees just breathe in and breathe out and just take in the beauty and take as long as you like take in all the beauty that you can see in and out all that beauty and know that that comes from the mother and just realise how beautiful it is and how much gratitude you have for all that you can see around you and then when you're ready now listen with listen not only with your ears but with your spirit and listen to what's around you. You might hear bird calls, you might hear a little breeze, you might hear other subtle noises. And listen to what's around you and give thanks for that as well because that's all from the mother. And just let it come into your soul, all those beautiful things, and know that they're there for you, they're your brothers and your sisters, because I've already said they're your family. And you breathe in and you breathe out. And you give thanks. And then use your nose to smell. What are the beautiful smells? You might smell a particular kind of leaves. You might smell the dampness of the, of the forest. You might smell the freshness of the air. And just notice how good it feels to, to feel what's around you, but also to smell and all those things you've seen. And just feel the love that's now coming from your family. That's all your family. They're there. They're saying, we, we recognise you. We know you. You're here. With us, we love you. You're never alone. Hmm. And let let go of what you can smell and just use your skin, what you can feel. Can you feel the breeze? Can you feel the sun? Can you feel your feet on the earth? Are you laying down? Can you feel the earth embracing you? And just feel how beautiful that all is. And that's the mother reaching out and giving you a cuddle, if you like. And just let that love come into you. So this is all about love. So you can see your family around you. They love you. You can hear your family talking to you. They love you. You can smell the beautiful bush around you, the the love of the mother with you, and then you can feel her caressing you. And when you do that, have gratitude for all that the mother gives you because she gives you all the food you eat. So you can think about all that food you eat and what you love and that the mother gives you that and she gives you the oxygen and she gives you the water. And then when you're ready, you can give thanks. 
And when you give thanks, imagine a big ball of love in your belly because that's where your power is. And let it build and build and smile and go, wow, I can feel this love, it's so beautiful. And when you're ready, send that love down into the earth, into the centre of the earth, send all that love as far down as you like. And that's you giving back to your mother saying, I love you unconditionally and send it down. And what you'll notice is it feels good to give and you'll send that love down. But then what you'll notice is you'll feel that love coming back into your belly. And when you do, let your belly get bigger and bigger like it's about to burst. And that's the mother sending you all that love back as well and saying, I love you too, my child. And just let that flow all through you. And then when you're ready, you kind of come back to the now, but you know that wherever you walk during the day and night, that love is always with you, that you're always loved. And so you never have to fear anything because the mother is always there. And as Uncle Paul said, we're eternal. So that love is eternal. And so we never need to feel lost because we're always connected with our family. So that's it, Glenn. Oh, that's that's so beautiful, and and uh, I feel so much gratitude for for this blessed meeting, and you know it. I knew before, but I feel even stronger now that love and gratitude are also the same thing. You know, it's it's just it's just. It, it is so beautiful and so miraculous, our life, like you were saying before. Um, it's really, really true. It's such an incredible blessing, such a blessing. And it's been a blessing to, to share some time with you today. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Paul and Uncle Paul. And Uncle Paul, thank you for the, the birds that have been joining in the conversation. And, and what is that uh, animal sound I'm hearing? Uh, because uh, maybe you don't even... <laughs> Hearing some sound where it, it sounds. Uh, what's that? Again, we'll need a cut. Every now and again, we'll get a car drive past. Maybe that's. No. Hearing, but there is there is quite a lot of birds singing around us, and there was a kookaburra laughing his head off, which oh. sounds like a big animal, but it's actually a bird that actually laughs. Uh, that might have been it. <laughs> that might have been it. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I appreciate it. It's, it's it's perfect that you are in the in the bush, even if you're close to uh, uh, automobiles. It's still, you know, we got those sounds that. And thank you um, with your with your beautiful visualization, uh, Paul. Thank uh, thank you for bringing in that, uh, acknowledging those those birds as well. So it's been just a joy. It's just a thank you for the work that you're doing. You know, thanks, Glenn. Before we go, okay, because Uncle Paul's my uncle, I don't feel right that I'm the full stop. So, is there anything else you'd like to say, Uncle? Just I was the, about the, to the ask last him bit that, of advice. So Sorry, Glenn. I'm taking over okay. the podcast. <laughs> Any last thoughts? Yes, please. Uh, I think just to finish on what Paul was talking about with meditation is. We're, we're taught that our head is just a filing cabinet that stores information and knowledge and our heart is an emotional place and if we live in our head 
other people can get into it and get us to do things that um, we probably shouldn't do. Um, the advertising groups of the world are really good at taking over our minds and getting us to buy things that, that we don't need. Um, sometimes our families plays on our emotions and our heart and say, if you love me, you'll do this for me, or if you, you know, you don't love me because you won't do this for me. So sometimes we can be used if we sit in our heads or in our hearts. But when we actually think from our stomach, that's that psychic ability, that's that women's intuition that I talk about, that's that gut feel that we talk about. And that's where true knowledge and true feeling is held. Um, and nobody can actually take that away from us. So we're taught from an early age to get out of our heads and get into our abilities and really connect to, to the spirit in that way. Mm. I think that's an important lesson for us all today, you know, is to, to get it to get away from fear or to get away from greed or to get away from being hurt. We've got to get out of our our heads and get into our values. That's really, really interesting. Uh, is it possible that that has something to do with that we have this microbial, this this microbes of this ancient ancestors of the the invisible ones in our a lot of them living in our bellies? Is that part of the connection? Yep, that is part of the connection. Like that second nervous system that some scientists talk about, which is down in our belly, that governs a lot of our well-being and health and our health problems. Yeah, so. That's for us is the is the center of what we got to connect with. Well, thank you, and from from the bottom of my heart and from the my belly, I want to thank you both for joining us today. The book is called "The Dreaming Path: Indigenous Thinking to Change Your Life." by Paul Callahan with Uncle Paul Gordon. It's a magnificent book. It's available on Amazon right now through Pandera Press, and it will be available in the U.S. soon, so go pick it up. Thank you again, Paul and Uncle Paul. This was wonderful. This program is made possible in part by Select Books, Waterside Publications, Bizgenics, and the Ecology Prime Media Channel. Executive producer, Kenichi Sugihara. Native flute music by Orlando Secatero from the Pathways CD. Liberty song by artist Ron Crowder, written by Ron Crowder, Jim Casey, and Danny Casey. Post-production editing by Kenichi Sugihara. The Circle for Original Thinking is a grassroots think tank whose mission is to seek out the deep origins of contemporary thought in order to remember and restore heart-centered wisdom for humanity and all our relations on Earth. Follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Listen Notes, or wherever podcasts are normally heard. For more information, go to originalthinking.us or originalpolitics.us, and you can also find and purchase my books, Original Thinking and Original Politics, there. Thank you for listening. Until next week, many blessings of good health and well-being to all.